Well, as we study, continue our study the book of Colossians, we're going to start a, some, uh, some thoughts about an open door for witness for Christ. Um, hear the scripture from Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Well, let's pray again. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. And we pray the prayer that is uh, mentioned in 1 Thessalonians, that we would receive the word this morning with power, in the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. So speak to our hearts and teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. So the whole issue of open doors, and let me give you a few key words. The first word is this. It's the call to adventure. I think we're called to an ongoing, growing relationship with the living God by the power of the Holy Spirit, which involves some risk, which involves adventure. I'll give you an example. I think I'm kind of schizophrenic. I'm called to adventure, but I'm also called to safety. So I'm kind of here and there, all over the map. Um, some of you are more adventurous. Some of you are more safety. But, but I think we both have that in our spirit. For example, um, let me tell you about an adventurous guy. It's this guy right here. His name is Clyde Panghorn. Clyde Panghorn was uh, born in Washington State. He was... Went to Idaho, majored in civil engineering, um, was a, one of the first pilots in America. In fact, he was kind of a stunt pilot after, after school. He would literally transfer airplanes in midair. And in 1927, Charles Lindbergh, of course, flew from New York to Paris. So in this unknown U.S. male pilot became an international celebrity. Four years later, 1931, the government of Japan said, we'll pay 25000 to the first person that does a trans-Pacific crossing, not transatlantic. And Sir Charles Panghorn said, I'm going to do it. And so he flew through Siberia, landed in Japan, was in prison for a while because he took some aerial photographs of the Japanese mainland, but they let him out. He was fueling his plane. They did redo the calculations and realized that instead of needing X gallons of fuel, they needed X gallons plus 300 to make it across the Pacific, which was 2,000 miles further than the transatlantic crossing. And so he and his co-pilot decided that what we'll have to do is we have to get rid of our, our, our landing gear when we take off. And so they did that. They took off in Japan and they knocked the landing gear, let the landing gear go. And then they looked down and the struts were still there. And so at 14,000 feet, Charles Panghorn went out on each wing and knocked off the struts as he was barefooted on the wings. Just an amazing guy. Amazing guy. They were going to land in a certain place because of contrary winds. They had to land in his mom's town, a place called Wenatchee, Washington. And so they landed, and this is what the plane looked like after it crash landed. It's pretty, they did well. The co-pilot had a bad cut on his head, but they received $25,000, which in those days was really a lot of money. As a side Panghorn went on to become a very well-known pilot trainer. In fact, in 1939, when the World World War II started, he saw the horror of Nazism, and he went straight to 
England and he volunteered to be in the Royal Air Force where he served for seven years. Later, training many pilots. Eh, a guy of adventure. There's, there's, a, there, there's a spirit of, of that that I think is in all of us. Uh, but then there's the schizophrenic spirit. The schizophrenic spirit uh, is like this. Uh, the bubble wrap child. There's a magazine that had an article recently about, entitled, The Overprotected American Child. And it talked about American children are way overprotected by helicopter parenting. I'm not here to give any type of statement about that other than to say that that's part of my schizophrenia. Uh, overprotection, what could happen here? What, what if this has got botulism? What if there's a, some type of attack? Yada, yada, yada. But it talked about how this is adversely affecting our children. And this article says that uh, a study was done of 31,000 college-age students by the American College of Health Association this past year, and 21.6% reported that they had been diagnosed with or treated with for anxiety disorders during the previous year. That is up from 10.4% only six years ago. So we have grown by 10% in our college students of anxiety. And they say this is attributable to this, what they call the overprotected American child syndrome. That's, that's me. I thought if I was going to start an investment company, this would be the name of my investment company. Safe Investments and Limited Liability. I want to have investments that give me a really big yield without ever thinking about losing any money. I want to be able to invest in something that gives me a 30% yield, guaranteed. The problem is that they don't exist. And so I look at the Christian faith, and I, th I think that we've been called to a life of obedience and stepping out in faith, that we've been called to join the Great Commission movement, that, that you read this passage, and Paul is in prison, guys. He's in prison, and he's praying for an open door to share Christ. He says, I'm in prison because of Jesus, but, but pray they'll have an open door to share the gospel, and it just astounds me. And, and, and so I think of the Great Commission movement and the Great Commission call, and I think of the well-known passage where, where Christ says in the last verses of Matthew 28, the last verses of this gospel, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, and go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's, it's a call to duty. It's a call to daily obedience, really. Or, or the call to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Christ says, but, but, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. It's a call to engagement. It's a call to impact people with the good news of the gospel. So the first word is adventure. Join the Great Commission adventure. That's the call to my heart. The second word is that of, of purpose, living with purpose. Henry David Thoreau, as you know from English in high school or college, uh, was, died in 1862 at the age of 44. He wrote a book called Walden that many of us have read. And he was kind of a get out in nature guy and observe life and embrace life. And he was anti-government. And uh, he, he was a very interesting man. He was part of a group called the New England Transcendentalist. They weren't believers. They believed in God, small g, that God could not be defined. 
But, but Henry David Thoreau said this. It was a very famous aphorism of his day. He said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Most men lead lives of quiet desperation. I, I thought about that, and I thought, well, that's true in some ways. But I would say in our day and age, 2018, many years removed from 1860, that, that most people live lives where they are deadened to the eternal nature of life. They are deadened to the fact that there is a God to whom they will give an answer. <clears throat> and so we're surrounded by activities and noise and things. And, 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 but see, to me, every Lord's Day, every community group gathering, every deacon's meeting or elders' meeting or women's Bible study or man-to-man or whatever, it is a call to remember <clears throat> that we have an eternal destiny as men and women. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is, is, is writing to the church about the things of the Lord, the second coming of Christ. And, and this is what he says. This is a startling statement. He says in verse 2, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ, will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying there is peace and security then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. They will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, that this day should surprise you like a thief. But you are children of the light and you are children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then... Let us not sleep as others do, but let us be awake and sober-minded. And I read that and I thought, you know, whenever we get together, we should say, brothers and sisters, let us be awake and sober-minded. We're not people of the night who believe that life goes on and on and on and, and there's some type of ending that no one knows anything about and we're like a candle that's blown out and we just cease to exist. No, no, we know that there is a living God who's given us the reality of Christ, who's given us his word, and we will give an answer. And, and it's called the day of judgment. Therefore, be awake and sober-minded. Don't be seduced by these things. This is a keep awake and be sober society. One of the joys that I, on the weekend, is to read the weekend edition of the Wall Street Journal. And I especially enjoy a section called the review section. It's a review of books. But it always leads out with a leading editorial or an article. And yesterday, the leading editorial was, it, it's time to kick the bucket list. And I thought, man, this is good stuff. And I'm going to read a few paragraphs. It's a satirical swipe at the bucket list. You know, the bucket list is, is named after the movie starring uh, Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson, right? That guy that wrote, is that right? And uh, the bucket list means you've got one bucket, foot in the bucket, i.e. death, and that you're heading to death, therefore you accomplish certain things. So they came up with a bucket list, a really good movie, by the way. It says, the American bucket list is in a state of crisis. The obsessive need to parasail over volcanoes in Mongolia, to swim with man-eating sharks and to eat in every farmhouse that George Washington ever bedded down in has contributed to, to a national epidemic of bucket list neuroses. 
Americans are so obsessed with running a 100-mile marathon in the outback or visiting every double-A baseball stadium in the country or flying in a hot air balloon over Fiji that all the fun has been taken out of having a bucket, place in the first, bucket list in the first place. Compiling a bucket list was once the perfect way to pass the dreamy days of summer vacation. Now it's just another fork or form of work. Like American youth soccer and contemporary country music, bucket lists started as something harmless and amusing before turning into a national nightmare. <clears throat> I'm going to read that again. Like American youth soccer, or I would add AAU, anything. And contemporary country music, Bucket List started out as something harmless and amusing before turning to a national nightmare. But as so often happens in this otherwise great country, something that started out as a joke had became a clinical disorder. It's as if every woman who watched Thelma and Louise, a horrible movie, by the way, that's my editorial comment, suddenly decided that it was a good idea to drive a car off of the cliff. <laughs> and then he says this, oh, this is very pointed. <clears throat> he says, who cares if you bungee jump in Madagascar? That won't make up for three crummy marriages or a really bad comb over. Nobody really needs to go falconing in Mongolia or ride on the back of a nurse shark in Alaska for their life to be complete. They need to raise kids who won't grow up to hate them or take care of their aging mother and make sure she gets a nice send-off. And I've read that and I thought, you know, he's not exactly quoting Matthew 16. Matthew 16, Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? What does it profit a man to do everything on his bucket list and face eternity without Christ? So to me, this is just a means of giving us a purpose to live, a purpose to honor the Lord. The third word is perspective. I, um, the, the perspective is this. We're, we're, we are called to be obedient believers. And really the call is to be people who just do the ordinary, obedient things day after day as we love the coming generations. It's a call to be people who understand that we are to be people who are involved in kingdom living and we make a difference. It's a call to understand that every person who names the name of Christ has responsibility to live out the gospel and that every man and woman is made in the image of God. Perspective. There, there's a wonderful book on John Calvin by a guy named Bruce Gordon. It's a, one of the best biographies on Calvin. And in the beginning of the book, he says two things that really arrested my attention. The first is that John Calvin, he says in his opinion, must have dealt with intellectual arrogance. He says, because there's no doubt about it that John Calvin, who died in 1564, never met anyone as intelligent as he was. He said he was just off the chart. And then he says this. He says, the other thing you have to realize is that to understand the life of John Calvin... You have to understand that time after time after time, he wrote that life was a journey, a journey, a journey, and the destination was heaven. And, and so I, I just, my perspective, I think, said to self, uh, understand that, that this is a journey. Uh, understand what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, where he says these words that just stir our souls. Verse 9, he says, but you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood and a holy nation. You're a people belonging to God. 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then we go, wow, that is really incredible. A holy nation, a, a called out people, a people that's belonging to God, a royal priesthood. But in the next verse, he says this, he talks about our identity. And he says, I beseech you, I, I plead with you, beloved, I, 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 I beg you to live your life as aliens and exiles or sojourners and pilgrims and to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So it's, 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 you're a holy people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and also you're, you're, you are pilgrims. You're on a journey. You're not there yet. Glory is coming. And so as I look at the eternal things of God, I, I think glory's coming. So we've been on the West Coast, got up at 4 o'clock Thursday morning to catch a flight at 5.55, got to the airport and we're waiting. They said there's been a mechanical malfunction. The plane is not able to be flown till 11.30. So we went running the desk and said, well, we can get you to Charleston Thursday night, but it's going to be 10 hours later than you thought you would get there, and you've got to take a bus across the mountains. And I said, great. I had to get back. I had things going on, including a wedding Friday, so I had to get back. So we take the bus over, and they put us on a flight from Seattle to Dallas, three hours and 10 minutes, and because we didn't... We were put in different places, couldn't sit together, Sarah and I. And so I was sitting on the very first row of the coach or economy class in the middle seat between a woman who had just been to a cosmetics convention and a woman who told me all about cosmetics. And I, 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 don't, I don't care. I mean, I really, I, that's just not something that I'm interested in. But, and it's hard to act interested in something that you could care less about trying to fake it. And on the other side was a man that didn't speak to me because he was watching movies, he was about 75, watching movies on his little iPhone, and the movie he was watching was Guardians of the Galaxy, which I thought, he'd be a cool guy to get to know at age 75 watching Guardians of the Galaxy, which is really a good movie. Anyway, so I'm sitting there, and then there's this, you know, between coach and first class, there's this see-through curtain, and this curtain had stars and a moon on it, it was gold, and, you know, it's a line of demarcation, and they really ought to have a picture of the pearly gates and angels because that separates, you know, the, the hoi polloi from first class. And so I'm sitting there, and, you know, I'm going cosmetics. And, and, and uh, right before we take off, the, 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 the steward person, is that right, steward person? Flight attendant. Flight attendant comes down and gives them a hot, hot washcloth to refresh themselves up with. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Then about two minutes later, what drink do you want? How many do you want? What kind of variety do you want? So, so they bring out all the drinks before we take off. I'm going, wow, that's pretty cool. We take off. About 20 minutes in the flight, they bring out these really nice appetizers. I mean, not in bags, but just on trays. Here's your appetizer. Ooh, 45 minutes later, the refresher drinks bring out a meal. Not, not a meal you have to peel off, you know, the, the covering, but a real meal that's uncovered and laid out before them. I thought, wow. Then they bring out the desserts on trays, and I'm going, wow. And then about that time, they come down my aisle with, do you want pretzels or peanuts? And do you want, what do you want to drink? Well, I like a Diet Sprite. Now, I'm thirsty. Can I have the can? I'm sorry, sir. There are too many, this is a full flight, we can't give cans out with your drink. I said, 
okay. But I'm sitting there going, man, first class. First class. Wow. And then I started thinking about this passage, and I was going, you know, life's a journey. And, and while I may not be in first class now, a day is coming that's going to make first class look really, really, really boring, where the greatest gifts in this life will be increased 500-fold. So, so self-realize you're on a journey. You're not there yet. And then I, I was thinking about this, this, this perspective and journey, and I talked to some, one of my favorite people this week, and she's dealing with a young woman who's come to faith in Christ and is coming out of a very difficult background. And, and this young woman said to her young friend, I thought this is so good, she said, let me tell you, if you're going to grow in the Lord and prosper in the Lord, you've got to read the Bible and think the Bible every day. Because that's my perspective. And I thought about a passage I've been meditating on the last couple of weeks. And it's, it's Proverbs 14, uh, 26 and 27. It's just, I was like, wow. It says, uh, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. In the, in the fear of the Lord, the, there is strong confidence. And for his children, it will be a refuge. Isn't that great? And it says this. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning one from the snares of death. I, 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 I know I've read that before, but I've never thought about the fear of the Lord. First of all, I rejoice that as you walk in the fear of the Lord for your children, it will be a refuge. And I thought, I've never thought about the fear of the Lord being a fountain of life, you know, bubbling up. That the reverence of God and the worship of the God in his triune glory and, and the exaltation of the living God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is, 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 is like a fountain of life that just bubbles up in your spirit. And I said, Lord, give me that perspective. And so the words adventure, purpose, perspective. Now let's go to the text. I'll give you three quick points. Point number one, verse two. We covered verse two three weeks ago. Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So point number one is that, that prayer precedes open doors. Prayer precedes open doors. Prayer keeps us fresh and lively in Christ. Definition of prayer from larger catechism, prayer is a lifting up of our desires unto the Lord and all things agreeable with his will in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our mediator, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his tender mercies. New City Catechism, prayer is pouring out our hearts to God. Another definition, prayer is the emotive, emotive experience driven by knowledge and my need. But, but, but Paul says here, he says, you know, I'm in prison. I'm in prison. And, and I'm telling you, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So, so prayer precedes. I told you a few weeks ago that I use the hand, prayers, immediate family, index finger for those who point the way, missionaries, leaders in the church, pastors. The, the middle finger represents those in government authority here and around the world. The, the weak finger represents those who are going through incredible needs. The, the small finger represents the coming generations. But, but somewhere in that 
hand diagram. I need to have a list, listen to me, a list of four or five people who do not know Christ who are in your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends. You're praying that God would give you an open door to share the gospel with them. That's what Paul's saying here. And Paul's saying, continue in prayer. Be a person of prayer. And he says, says, do that. And and, and then he says in Ephesians 6, and this is the Apostle Paul. He He says this. He says, and, and pray for me. This is the Apostle Paul. He's a, he was an incredible man. And pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul says, you know, he says, pray for me. And I read that. Now, here's the Apostle Paul who wrote at least 12 books in the New Testament, a lion of a man, and he's praying for holy boldness. Let me tell you something. I need that prayer. I need that prayer badly. We need to pray for each other for holy boldness. So we say, pray for me. We ought to pray for each other that we would that we would open our mouth as God opens doors to proclaim the reality of Christ. Prayer precedes open doors. Pray for people. Keep a list of four or five people you're praying for that God would give you the ability to speak Christ to them. That's who we are. And we can be doctrinally sound and we can be people who affirm the right things, but my prayer for me and for you is that our hearts would break over the things that break the heart of God. I see all these people all the time who are distracted and going places and doing this and doing that, and they have no idea that they're marching steadfastly to hell. The second thing is this. Paul says, pray for me. Pray for an open door. That God may open to us a door for the word. He talks about an open door in Acts 14 and 27 and 1 Corinthians 16 and 9 and 2 Corinthians 2, 12. Uh, He talks about God in his mercy and kindness opening doors. In Revelation chapter 3, it talks about God opening doors. It says this, verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. The living God opens doors. He's placed you in your jobs, in your neighborhoods, in your family circles, and he's going to open doors as you pray to speak the name of Christ. I talked to a brother this weekend, even before this service, who had the privilege of speaking at a loved one's funeral. And his friend asked him, says, please preach the gospel at my funeral. I have some friends who will be there who do not know Christ. People say that to me frequently at, at weddings and funerals. We want you to preach the gospel. See, they're looking for open doors. It's an open door. When people are here for a funeral, it's an open door. Weddings, open door. And we ought to be people who 
pray for open doors. And when God opens it, walk through it. This is not my strength, so pray for me. I, I'm gonna, I'll just confess my sin. I didn't do it in the last service, and I, so I'm going to do it in the service. So two months ago, a month, month and a half ago, my wife and I had the privilege of going to the Southern Baptist Convention in Dallas, Texas. And we have a friend who lives in Dallas who recently married two years ago. And we've known this man for a long time, and we have prayed for him really for three decades now, three decades. And he calls and says, we, we want you to stay with us. I said, yeah, that's, that's four nights. I said, no, we're going to be in meetings all day, but that's, you, are you sure? No, we want you to stay with us. And he could not have been kinder. And we went there, and they treated us so kindly. And, and when we, they, we were able to be with them, we had meals together, they had some people over. And, just, and this guy through the years has always digged me about being a Christian, just digged me. And uh, he was very kind. The last night we're there. And we have to get up at 4.30 to catch a flight. So I was tired. It's a terrible excuse. But we start talking. He and his wife and his daughter were there, his 29-year-old daughter. And uh, he's very cynical about politics, which I, I understand. And he said, well, why do you think about President Trump? And I thought, oh, great. I said, well, I think I did the soft shoe. I said, I don't, I said I'm, I'm not a political animal. I, I, I'm, that's not my calling. I said, I, I will tell you this, though. I said, we, generally speaking, I will vote for people who are more conservative because they believe in the sanctity of human life. And I said, I, I just, when I read the scripture, I can't get away from the fact that life is a gift from God. I just can't get away from that. And I know it's a hard issue, and I, I, know, I knew that they were moderately pro-choice. Most pro-choice, pro-choice people are, are, are not vehement. I mean, it's just hard to be vehement about killing babies in the womb. You know, you just, it's just, I said, I know that you may not be there, but that's just, and he says, yeah, it's just a hard issue. And I appreciate your honesty, and I appreciate the fact that you're, you're very open and talking. I said, well, you're very kind. It's time to go to bed. See, I had the opportunity to say, you know, that's a very important issue, but the ultimate issue in life is, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? Who do you believe Jesus is? That's just, that's an easy question. You can drive a Mack truck through that. You don't have to be a skilled apologist. I didn't do it. I've kicked myself in the backside 13,000 times since that night in June. So here's my point. When God gives you an open door, which he gave me, walk through it. Walk through it. Don't be afraid that people are going to ask you questions you can't answer. You know why? Because they're going to ask you questions you can't answer. The only thing you can do is you can take the scripture and say, this is what the scripture says. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Do you understand that? The apostle said there is salvation given by no other name under the sun except the name of Jesus Christ. So, so either he is Almighty God in the flesh, which he claimed to be, which his followers claimed him to be, or he is a man of incredibly gifted deception. Those are, the, those are two of the alternatives. What do you think of Christ? I didn't do it. 
When God gives you an open door, church, walk through it. Thirdly, what we proclaim is the mystery of Christ. He says here, pray that I, that I will declare the mystery of Christ on which account I'm in prison. And Paul says, let me be clear. When the door is open, we proclaim the mystery of Christ. A mystery is something that's been shrouded in clouds and now is blazingly clear. At Colossae, as you know, we've talked about this, that they, they, they talked about mystery words and open doors and incantations that, that brought, brought down illumination. And Paul says, let me tell you the one word this, the word of mystery that opens doors and gives clarity. Let me tell you the one word you've got to know to open doors and to see life as it is. And that one word is Jesus, Messiah King, the Christ. And so Paul's in prison. If he's in prison, he says, pray they'll have open doors to proclaim the glorious mystery of Christ. The God who is proclaimed and prophesied has come in the flesh and his name is Christ. So when we get the opportunity, don't talk about God with a small g. Don't talk about the supreme being. Talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles were having an incredible run. I just had an experience that startled the church wide awake in the first part of Acts chapter 5. And, and then it says that in verse 12, there, there were many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico, and none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in very high esteem, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that even some carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall upon them. It was a wild time. Verse 17, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And they arrested the apostles and put them into public prison. And during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Close quote. Uh, interesting about the true life, about this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of Israel and they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and said, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we could not find the apostles. <laughs> now as the captain was given his report, and the men were greatly perplexed. Someone came running and said, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and they're teaching the people. And then the officers and the captains went out and brought them in, but not by force. For they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Could you guys please, can we have a conversation, Peter? You guys, can we just, just mano, mano, can we have a conversation? And then they came before the council. Listen, the council said, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. They wouldn't even name the name. They wouldn't even say the name Jesus. Don't you dare speak in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. 
and Peter. Just stop. Uh, I want you to understand something. The Sadducees were the PhDs of their day. They'd written dissertations on issues in modern-day equivalency that that were just mind-numbingly boring. They were very bright. Peter and the cohort here are a bunch of fishermen. I mean, third-grade flunkies, basically. And yet, they're standing before the PhDs of their day speaking the name of Jesus. It's amazing. And Peter said this. We must obey God rather than men. And he sees the moment. Listen, this is an open door. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him, close quote. Wow. And they heard these things, and they were indignant, and they started cursing at him, screaming at him. And there's the end of the story. When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple from, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. It's a beautiful story. And so my my, my point is that we speak the name of Jesus as God gives us opportunities. Pray for opportunities. Pray for open doors. And when God gives you the open door, walk through it and proclaim the name of Jesus. We're called to do that. And as we look at the open door, I pray we'd love and preach and embrace the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, on this day, we thank you for calling us unto yourself. And thank you that you have you looked at the church universal, not just the apostolic band. And you have said, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, Go and make disciples of the nations. Baptizing them, teaching them, all things. And I'll be with you to the very end. Thank you that you looked at the church universal through the ages and you said you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In, in, in your own zip code, in your own city, in your own geographical area, and to the ends of the earth. Help us to be witnesses in our zip code, in our city, in our geographical area, and to the ends of the earth. So forgive me, Lord, for praying for people 
for even praying for open doors and when the door is opened, not walking through it. And Lord, as we walk through those doors, may we proclaim the profundity and the glory and the greatness of Christ in whose name I pray, amen.